Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and B2B SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Let's jump into the show. Today, I'm joined by Zanya Winans. Welcome, Zanya. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited for our conversation. I love the vertical that you're focused in on, which is the dental vertical. But before we get to that, could you just share a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Sure. So I own Golden Proportions Marketing. Agency started about 23 years ago. We are an agency that is exclusive to the world of working with private practice dentists, primarily those that are fee for service. And I am, it's kind of funny when I go to a cocktail party and people ask what I do and you say dental marketing and there's just like this dead silence. Like, really? (laughs) There's a niche for dental marketing? You have no idea how competitive it is. Yes, and big. It's a big market. I, uh, I, I didn't personally, but someone on my team in my last agency went to the New York Dental Show. Apparently, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar, and, and she would sh- share with me that it's like football fields of booths and massive multi-million dollar booth experiences. So uh, I got a sense for, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big market. <laughs> it is. It's, it's shockingly larger than just about any other niche within medicine, yeah. short of just general practice MDs. Like dentists are it. So just curious if you if you have a sense of how big is the private practice dental market? Like how many are there out there in the US? So there's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 180 to 200,000 licensed dentists wow. in the US. Okay. But that does not mean they are all private practice. Sure. It used to be 100%, but then the world of DSOs came about, which are dental service organizations yep. for those who, who are listening but don't know that. And that's basically corporate dentistry. The Aspen Dentals of the world are the ones that you know make it look like you still own a private practice, but they're running everything behind the scenes. And it is estimated within the next seven years that they're going to own 80% of the practices in the country. So as big as my industry is, it's actually shrinking. So that's interesting. So you're working, you mentioned, with the private practice dentists who are not part of the DSOs, is my assumption? Yes. Okay. We, we have a few what we call emerging or baby DSOs okay. that are like in that, you know, up to seven or 10 locations because they want to grow to sell, but they're not, there's no way they can manage marketing on their own. But otherwise, I, I like the one-offs. Yeah. You have much better relationships with them. Wow, that's super interesting to hear. I want to dig into that. Just for, for context, could you share, what could you share about the so the size of your agency, Golden Proportion Marketing, as far as employees, clients, revenue, whatever you're comfortable sharing? Sure. There's currently 23 of us employed. I've been as high as 26, 27, but actually have made ourselves leaner and more efficient. So I didn't need as many people, which helped with profitability. We work with somewhere in the neighborhood of like 350 dentists at any given time. Some of them are, you know, just those that have been riding along for years that might just have website hosting and SEO. And then there's new ones we onboard that are really, really comprehensive. And then from a financial standpoint, we're around three and a half million and growing steadily. Beautiful. And what is your role there as CEO and founder? What's your day-to-day look like? For a long time, I had my hands way too deep in it. (laughs) I handled strategy for clients and like hands-on client management. And I got out for a little while and then I had to get back in and 
now I am basically back out again. So my job is visionary, coaching the team, creating new business opportunities, just like bringing the new ideas on board. Beautiful. So what is the story behind the name? Because I'm curious, Golden Proportions Marketing, that's a super interesting name. And how did the how did you start the agency? What was happening in your life that led you to start an agency? Well, those kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> so I was very fortunate to meet my husband when he was in dental school at the University of Pittsburgh. He was a D1, which basically means just finishing your first year of dental school. Lived that journey with him. We moved out to a small town in central Pennsylvania. He opened up a private practice. And even though I was working for another agency at the time, obviously I wanted to support my spouse. I did his marketing. And long story short, he's actually an extremely talented cosmetic dentist. He did training and taught other doctors out in Nevada. And those doctors who saw what he was doing wanted me to start doing it for them. So basically one night an agency was born and because he was so into cosmetics in the world of cosmetic dentistry at the time, they talked about the golden proportions, which is that perfect ratio of getting a very aesthetically pleasing smile. Ah. Now there are days I would take that back at a heartbeat because it is a lot to spell out <laughs> in an email address, <laughs> but, but it is, it is noteworthy. So if I was to meet a cosmetic a dentist who has specialized in cosmetics and I said the term golden proportions, would they know what that means? Is that a saying? Guaranteed. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I think that's in, in a way very brilliant because you're communicating already that you're an insider to their world. Cause I, I don't know, I'm not an insider at all to that world. And I do not know I did not know that, uh, that reference. So I think that's really smart. Well, I mean, I will freely admit that it was what I knew at the time because cosmetics were so big, but we work with dentists of all possible specialties. So, you know, a, that value of that name might have been a little bit lost on, say, if you're a dentist who focuses on implants or pediatrics. Okay. But yeah. regardless, the brand's established. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, yeah. Okay. That you're known for other things as well now. So, yeah. And so you, so it sounds like you got some, some doing some marketing for your husband as a result of that work you got some exposure from the network his network and then that kind of led to an agency and at what was sort of the growth trajectory how did you get more uh, dentist is it was it mostly word of mouth in the early days like how did that how did that grow i think like most agency owners i would truly call myself like an accidental agency owner yeah. it was not something i planned on yeah. so i didn't have a business plan about how to grow the business the organization that he taught out at Nevada, uh, the Las Vegas Institute for Advanced Dental Studies, they asked me to come on faculty. I would fly out there every three weeks, lecture to what they call their core one group, which was kind of the entry level of doctors getting into their curriculum. And because of that, we were actually asked to help them put together what was considered the first national branding campaign for dentists. So we got over a thousand dentists to contribute a thousand bucks a month for a year. And we bought national media. And so like, it was just this incredible opportunity to reach a lot of doctors all at once and help them carry that national branding through on a local level for them. So just an incredible kickstart. We were darn lucky. Wow. So you had a big project, lots of funding and a very clear mission 
and that I, I imagine led to a lot of business because you were able to get exposure in front of that that target market. As you were growing, did you oh did you ever diversify into other verticals, or was it always dentist, dentist, dentist all the way through? So I remember going to a couple of trade shows, one in particular, the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, Uh, because that was sort of our niche in the beginning. And there were a couple of other agencies there. I was very new to this world. And I remember walking past a booth where they had kind of like four quadrants and it had dermatology and plastic surgery and I think optometry and then dentistry. And I went, oh, I should probably be exploring all these other niches. What an untapped opportunity. No, it's just a giant waste of money and time and effort. (laughs) So like two years into it, lesson learned, I said, no, do the thing we know best and just went all in on dental and specifically private practice. We've, We've like played with some of the corporations that support the world of dental again, just it's an adjacent niche, but it's not close enough to what we do. So we, we learned the successes in line or lies in doing one thing really, really well. Can I ask what are some of the things that you did during those two years to try and diversify a little bit that didn't end up working out? Sure. I, I did the same things I did in marketing for Dennis. I went to trade shows and I tried to find publications that I could drop articles in. And I tried to make affiliations with some of the educational groups that they kind of had these connections with other doctors and referral pace, uh, bases. And it just, it was almost like there were other people that were already really entrenched in that particular market or had their in. And I didn't have enough resources or time or energy to fight that fight to the level it needed to be to get really, really good at it. So, and that's not to say that there isn't an opening in those niches. It's just, you, you can't portion yourself out a little bit at a time and expect to see success. Mm, I think that's really powerful. And so you went through that process and was it, at what point did you realize that this wasn't working? You were going through the motions of, of, all the things you just shared, like at what point, like what was the evidence that it was time to kind of regroup and just focus in on private practice dentists? So there wasn't like a big moment. I, I'm a numbers person. I track the living heck out of everything. And I would look at how much money we were spending and how many leads we were getting and what we were actually converting and the revenue and just the ROI wasn't there. Yeah. So, you know, we got a few but it, it wasn't worth it. So it was just, it was a matter of like doing an end of the year analysis two plus years in saying, never mind. Yeah. This isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's only so many hours in the day, I guess, right? Exactly. Now, at what point did you, well, let me, let me back up. I'll ask it differently. Do you, do, was the work you were doing then and now all project-based or are you doing a mix of project and recurring revenue? And how did that change over time? Great question. So in the very beginning, I kind of did what I learned working at other agencies. It was very project-based. It was, I'm going to design a logo for you. And I would charge the client the full fee for the logo design upfront. And then we'd design the logo. And that was a good chunk of change for them. So then it would be two months later, okay, now let's do a new patient packet or let's do a print ad. And it was this like torturous one-off kind of a deal. (laughs) And it was somewhere around 2007 or so that I started to realize we got to find something that's repeatable. So we actually started, and it might've actually been a little bit before that, 
to get larger commitment, we mapped out the whole plan, everything that they needed, took all of those fees, bundled them, put them in a zero interest 12 month payment plan so that it fit their budget. But I got them to commit to a much larger package of work. And then probably about a year or two after that is when we started adding recurring revenue. Okay. Like I remember, you know, 13 clients doing SEO for 500 bucks a month. And now I have hundreds for a lot more than that. And that's, that's where the money lies. That's the success. And how did you, what was that process of introducing these recurring products? Any lessons learned as you were rolling these new types of products out to your existing client base? Yeah. Lessons learned on my clients' backs, unfortunately, like I think all lessons are. You know, we, we would, somebody would ask if we could do something and we'd say, yeah, and we'd go give it a shot and kind of learn as we went. The biggest lesson, which we apply now every time we add a new recurring revenue product is you got to go through a period of a couple clients that are your, willing to be your guinea pigs, that get your service for free for this new thing that you test, you learn, you write a system for you figure out what it's going to cost and then you roll it out. So we are really systematized every time we add a new recurring revenue product. And our goal is to add ideally one new recurring revenue product a year. Interesting. And so how do you determine what the next recurring revenue product that you want to roll out is going to be? Oh, I have a giant list. (laughs) I can imagine. It's probably a spreadsheet with conditional formulas and all this stuff. Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) So we do traction and it's actually, it's like literally part of our VTO that there is a a list of X number of recurring revenue products. And some of them are small. Some of them are like, okay, we're going to make sure that we add an accessibility license to everybody's website hosting this year. But that's just, you know, easy extra money, or it could be, we're going to do a social media product or whatever. We're kind of going for what's what we're ready to offer at the time, but also what the market demand is. Sure. So that's a combination of the two, what's available and what you can feasibly roll out, I imagine as well. Yeah. Do you productize your service? Do you like package things up and sell it for a, you know, a specific preset fee or are you more into like a, a custom scoping or somewhere in between? We have tried the productizing. <laughs> it, it is so popular in our niche. Like any trade show floor you walk, there's going to be, hey, doctor, here's this website SEO package bundled fee or this startup package. Or, and I kept thinking I was missing out. And we would come up with packages and we'd sell them. And it was just never the right package for our clients because I came from old world marketing where there was no such thing as a package if you're working with Singer vacuums or Ryobi power tools or a university, you pick the right strategy for that particular business. So the productizing didn't work. We are very custom in our strategy, even though, you know, there might be 50 products we offer that everybody gets some variation thereof, but packages just, they served the agency, not the client. (laughs) It's interesting. Very cool. So you tried it and it wasn't wasn't uh, the right fit. I love that. How did you, well, let me back up. Do you employ salespeople at the agency today? I do. Okay. That's been a journey trying to find, you know, not only the right people, but the right way to manage the work. So at the moment, we have a full-time business development director whose job it is to take all inbound leads. We're very much an inbound agency. She qualifies them and she rejects probably 50% of them. They're not the right fit for us. 
she then sets them up with one of our account strategists. We have four account strategists who will do a discovery, write a plan for that client, do the pitch and the close. So they're also an extension of our sales team, but then they're the ones who are maintaining that ongoing relationship with the client okay. in terms of reviews and coaching. Sure, day to day. It's like account man- project managers who are doing the actual work. Yeah. But yeah, so they, they've got a little bit of a hybrid role there. Hey, it's Corey. Almost every day I talk with agency owners who are frustrated with getting their outbound program off the ground. The truth is too many agencies are too dependent on inbounds and referrals to grow their business. We all know that it's getting harder and harder to generate inbounds and that it's just not a sustainable way to grow your business. I'd like to give you the six secrets for driving consistent ROI from your outbound that I learned as Scorpion's chief marketing officer, where we doubled the business from 20 million to 40 million just by adding outbound to an existing inbound only program. It's a free six day email course that will transform your outbound from broken to consistently driving new sales opportunities. You could sign up and get the first secret right now by going to get outboundroi.com. That's getoutboundroi.com. Now back to the show. Okay. And how did this evolve over time? Like, let me ask, when was the first time you hired, the very first time you hired a salesperson and were there any lessons learned in that experience? Well, I, when I hired them, I never really thought of them as salespeople. They were just account executives okay. and and it was their job, you know, when a lead came in to talk to them, find out what that person needed and and deliver a contract that hopefully they signed. It probably wasn't until like seven years ago that we genuinely really thought of it as sales, yeah. actually hired a sales coach that helped us structure a program that worked a whole lot better for everybody. But, you know, in the beginning, it was like I had this horrible... I was trying to find unicorns of people that were strategists, could sell, and also manage the projects. Very hard to find. <laughs> yeah. That's why they're unicorns. Yes. There are not a lot of them. No. So when did you, lessons learned. Yeah, when, when did you realize that you needed to bring in someone in this capacity? What, you know, like what was happening in the business that led you to say, okay, we need to, we need to bring in someone. I can no longer manage this. It was the numbers. But seriously, I track everything. So I could see every lead that came in, which number of them closed based on what referral source, based on which AE they were talking to. And I started to realize one of our biggest problems was our AEs did such a great job at building relationships with their clients and maintaining those relationships. Our retention's excellent that when new business would come in, it was almost like an annoyance for them. Yeah. It was an intrusion in the middle of their work day. Sure. More, it's and more work. Calls would get dropped and yeah, and <laughs> leads would get lost. And I was like, okay, there is something wrong with our system. Yeah. So that's when we finally said, time to to relook at this. That's interesting. That that's really what the BD director's role is to kind of take those in, qualify them. What is what is a qualified lead look like for your agency? So a qualified lead is someone who their expectations align with what we're going to be able to deliver. And and that's usually where you get a bad client is just saying, yeah, this client wants this thing and we can deliver this thing. But their vision of what that thing is supposed to be in terms of results, either the product or the number of leads they're getting or the number of patients, it can be very different than what we know it will be. 
So her job as a business development director is, is to like ask them really deep questions that they've never been asked before that uncover, they don't even realize they're giving us the answers yeah. that help us see like, are you ready to work with us? Yeah. So the expectations align that they've got a budget that is, you know, actually going to get them somewhere. We also like people, a different kind of agency, but I like leads who have been burned a couple of times by other agencies nice. because they've realized that whatever they're doing isn't working. It's time to get out of the productized world and move to something a little more custom. Isn't that all of them, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whether it's in sales or across the org, do you hire folks with a medical or a dental background? Is that important? I try, but it is hard. It, I have learned it's better to hire somebody who really understands marketing and strategy yeah. um, or developing a website or whatever, and then teach them dentistry. And we, we've put together an incredible library of resources for every element of dentistry that talks about not just what it is, but the technology that's used with it. The What are the patient pain points? What are the benefits of this product? What are the FAQs? Like we got a library of stuff that helps educate them. Smart. That's great. When it comes to sort of positioning and differentiation, I am f somewhat familiar with the medical market in general and uh, a little bit with the dental market specifically, I'll just tell you that my wife is a physician. She's a psychiatrist and she's with a an agency now that we're probably not gonna stay with. But so I'm familiar with some of the product that's out there firsthand, but I, what I, I guess my point is that it is a very crowded market. How do you differentiate and position your agency in this sort of sea of com com competitors, if you will? So it's interesting. When I started this agency 23 years ago, I literally remember doing as much research as I could find. There were, honest to God, five other agencies that specialized in dental marketing. There are now hundreds. <laughs> so differentiating, it's like there's a new one every day. It's crazy. So differentiating is really important. I think the, the three biggest things that differentiate us are the fact that we are completely exclusive to dentists that we tend to work primarily within the fee-for-service, no insurance participation type of practice because they're the ones who really value and need marketing, and that people who are looking for a more custom solution. So we have kind of our proven process is what we call discovering your dental marketing DNA, that we have a, a, a process that we go through that identifies the D is their direction, the N is their needs, which is kind of the strategy, and the A is their attributes, which is the brand voice cool. and building that into the marketing. Yeah. That's really cool. So you have a, you have an approach that's proprietary. You focus on the ones that have these specific needs, which is great. And I'm assuming I have not studied your, your marketing a lot. I've been to your website, but I'm assuming that that comes through in the marketing uh, to help sort of uh, differentiate your messaging. Hopefully. Yes. yes, hopefully I'm sure it is. And so how do you attract new dental clients? You mentioned you're mostly in, inbound, you're not doing any outbound, it sounds like. So you're mostly inbound. Where are those leads coming from? How are they finding you? Combination of things. So I do a lot of lecturing around the country. I, I lecture to study clubs and nationally. We go to a couple of trade shows a year. Some years we'll go to 10, some years we go to three. It just depends on kind of what's a good fit. Yeah. I do some kind of um, thought leadership. I have I've been asked, I have a dedicated column in dentistry today on marketing for dentists and uh, a lot of referrals from existing clients and consultants. 
But honestly, SEO is is the biggest one. The higher we rank, the more leads we get. <laughs> yeah. And having been around for about 23 years, obviously with a focus in dental, I'm sure that helps with the SEO and the authority and all that stuff, which is which is really awesome. You mentioned trade shows. How do you decide which trade shows make sense to go to? Like, what, what's a good trade show? For me, I like being able to have like a real conversation with somebody at a show. So I actually intentionally prefer smaller shows. I don't want to go to the greater New York meeting that has football fields worth of companies out there. Those are the people who are just looking for like the swag that they can pick up and throw in a bag to take home to their kids. Overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. So I like a smaller show, 100, 200 people that are ideally just the doctors, the decision makers, and you're at a cocktail party with them, or they come over and talk to you at a break, or they've seen you speak at that event and come talk to you. That is my favorite way to do a trade show. Awesome. I also know, based on your website, you it says that you're a part of the Academy of Dental Management Consultants which I'm assuming is an association involved with the dental industry. Tell us about what that what that's about and, and, and why that's important. So like I think most small business owners, dentists don't get a lot of education in how to run a business. I, I know when my husband was in dental school, he literally had one class, one semester that was an hour a week. So we got like 13 hours of education and how to like run finances and personnel and, you know, just all the things. So the Academy of Dental Management Consultants is a wide ranging group of people, everything from accountants, people who coach dentists on how to present treatment, marketing, things like that. And it's all people that support dentists running their business. And and there's, so there's a lot of inner referrals there yeah. because we don't all do the same types of consulting. Yeah. It's very supportive. So effectively, it's a it's a place where you can go do thought leadership, add value, pick up some clients, support some some of the referrals and whatnot. Are you a member of any other associations? I think you may have mentioned. It, honestly, professionally. <laughs> many. Uh, I'm sort of like, I'm the one who circles around and goes to all of them. One thing, and this is just a hoot to me, this this tells me I'm old and I've been around for a while. I will be receiving my fellowship in the International Academy of Dental Facial Aesthetics at the Greater New York meeting after this Thanksgiving. Oh, congratulations. Like literal cap and gown (laughs) fellowship. So I'll be in that organization. (laughs) I don't even know where it came from, but I'll take it. Okay, but regardless, uh, and, and again, congratulations on on that fellowship. But uh, <laughs> but I imagine. Uh, let me ask you: Is it, it, it? Would you advise an agency owner who's coming up, let's say, in a, in a vertical? Could be dentist, could be somewhere else. That associations play an important role in your ability to build credibility and, and awareness in that vertical. Absolutely. Yeah. I found that you know, obviously, it depends on the niche that you're in. But most of them, there's like these consulting groups or business management groups that often are large and kind of support and serve that industry. So getting an affiliation with those larger groups or anybody that offers continuing education, or again, those associations and trade shows, just being where they go to learn something new, that's where you want to be. That's super valuable. I've not, I've not heard of the continuing education organizations specifically for that that vertical or that that industry. That's really cool. I'm taking that note down. Thank you. Taking a step back with regard to 
taking a vertical market approach, have there been any bumps in the road or any mistakes that you made along the way, lessons learned that uh, you, you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience? I would be so freaking wealthy if I hadn't made all the mistakes <laughs> that I have made. <laughs> but, you know, there's a value to those lessons. Sure. So, gosh, best lessons I have learned were the importance of learning leadership, actually getting a leadership coach because... The people on my team are the ones who do the work that makes our clients happy. Yeah. So it is my job to keep my team happy. And I learned those lessons the hard way. I, I, nobody taught me how to be a boss. Yeah. You know, I, I, so I had to learn some of that. Financial management, one of the bigger lessons that I learned was it, we follow profit first which I guess you're familiar with it by nodding your head. It, it's been very powerful to basically just throw your money into different buckets and say, this is the bucket that is our money to spend. The rest of it is either that's money that's set aside for profit or taxes or profit sharing with the team or money for the vendors. That was a big one because I there was a point in time where I just wasn't watching the money to that extent and you know, I had a accounting manager who was kind of using money that came in for one thing to pay it for something else. And then we didn't have the money to pay for the thing that it was supposed to go towards. Yeah. So I don't know, but more expensive lessons than I can think sure, of. Sure, of course. Well, I think those are, those are really good. When it comes to leadership coaching, when is, when is the right time to do that? When is the right time to seek support from a coach as an agency founder? Is, is there is there ever too early to start that? Or is there a milestone that makes more sense? Or I don't know. I think nobody's going to start it until it's a pain point mm, for them. Yeah. It, very few people are going to say, oh, I'm just going to proactively go learn this thing that'll make me better. We usually think we're better than we are <laughs> until somebody tells us we're not. Yeah. So for me, the first time I engaged a coach was right at that like five-year burnout mark that most business owners get to. And it's because they're they're doing too much and they're working till eight o'clock at night and their employees don't do what they think they ought to be doing. And so this I've learned to recognize when I hit those bumps, there might be a different coach in my future. Yeah. So in my opinion, it's just the moment it starts to hurt, ask for help. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think founders are the, the default is I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to work harder, just figure it out. <laughs> Two last questions here. Was there ever a point when you thought that verticalizing your business wasn't working? There were questions. I had some questions along the way because I could see sometimes it's a lot for the team to do the same thing, the same topic over and over and over again. And so you have to find ways to keep it creatively interesting for them. I mean, we're in a business of creative people and, and you can only talk about teeth so many ways. <laughs> I hear this a lot. I hear this a lot from people who who are agent uh, agency owners, but they're dealing with a you know they have a business that they're focused on a vertical, and there's some agitation internally around like, hey, I I'm, I, I we need to do something different because I, I just need some some uh, some fresh some fresh projects, not the same thing. How do you how do you manage that? Like, how do you approach that? So we will take like, you know, a local community project or uh, just some passion project for them to do. Yeah. So my husband left the world of dentistry a couple of years ago. He now opened a craft brewery in our town. Oh, fun. So like they got to work on that kind of a project and it was just, it was 
different enough, it kind of re-sparks their creative energy. So that, that was, that was definitely one of the, that's probably one of the bigger challenges of being niched. You have to really pay attention to that and make sure that they are loving what they're doing so they don't get burned out. (laughs) Exactly. These are very, very important resources. My last question for you is what's your motivation? My motivation is, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. Because I'm married to a dentist, I have talked to so many of them just from like a friend level and they get taken advantage of from a, like a business consulting marketing perspective all the time. They have no idea what they're getting into. People sell them a bill of goods. They waste money, they get burned. And a lot of times it's the company that they're working with. It's not necessarily the doctor's fault. So like, I feel very protective about their performing dentistry to make somebody's life better. And so what motivates me is to educate them, to make sure that they are making smart, informed decisions, whether it's with me or somebody else, because their business has a higher purpose and somebody's got to help them watch out for it. That is awesome. I love that. Where could people reach out to you if they want to maybe ask you another question, a follow-up, or maybe they're a dental, maybe they're a dentist or have a dentist in the family. They'd love to learn more about your your agency. (laughs) How can people get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, It's surprising the number of uh, agencies who refer to me that are outside the world of dentistry. (laughs) So the two ways I'd say, go to our website, goldenproportions.com. There's a chat feature on there. Drop me a chat. Even even if I'm not available, just throw your email in there. Or you can always email me directly, which is just xana at goldenproportions.com. I was just on a call with a couple of AMI members the other day from totally unrelated to what I do. And they had questions for me and I just love sharing. I mean, after 23 years, I have learned a lot of lessons. Somebody helped me along the way. I'm happy to help others. Well, by sharing your time with us here today, you've been extremely helpful and I've learned a lot and I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much for coming on, Zanya. Thank you for having me. It was great. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast. If you receive value from the show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.